Welcome to StellarCast, the Stellar Recruitment Podcast. Let's go on an inspiring journey. By listening, learning, and taking key actions from our own recruitment experts, as well as industry leaders and inspirational individuals. By unlocking our own transformative change, we can all become the best versions of ourselves. Right, guys, uh, we're really lucky to have Andrew Boyd join us here today. Um, talking about, uh, I guess, how he's built and navigated his career. There's some really interesting takeaways around leadership and decisions and how he sort of acquired uh, various experiences culminating in him becoming a COO. Uh, So I think there's some fantastic and very simple takeaways for you to grapple. Um, Really hope you enjoy. Welcome, Andrew, and thanks for taking the time to to join us. Yeah, Um, sure. Yeah, good, mate. Good. Uh, I, I want to sort of go back to to the beginning, I guess. You know, how did you come to to study or choose to study mining engineering and, and going back to those early days as a grad, what are some of the best memories from back then? Yeah, sure. Um, so mining, I, I kind of, my old man was an exploration geologist, so I always had, you know, mining and minerals kind of in my veins, if you like. He was away a lot, various parts of the world exploring. So so that, that whole uh, resources piece was always a part of me growing up. Um, but there was also a practical element to it. I remember when I was, I think, in year 12, thinking about what courses I wanted to put down for uni. And I think it was it was probably in the Sydney Morning Herald or one of those papers where they have the prospects for graduates around job placement, starting salary, all those sorts of things. And I think mining engineering was 100% job placement rate at that time. This is kind of late 80s, 1990, around about there. So 100% job placement rate, and I think it was the second highest starting salary behind, you know, medicine or, or, or veterinary science or something. So I looked at those things and thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Good uh, statistics. I'll, I'll, I'll have a crack at that. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, ended up studying uh, mining engineering at UNSW. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And I, I guess in terms of, you know, the second part to the question, the actual study was great. You know, I, I really enjoyed the the degree. We did a lot of field trips, a lot of trips to remote parts of Australia, but also internationally. We went to South Africa and a few other places, um, Japan. And, you know, that was that was great experience. But one of the other great things about mining engineering was um, the vacation work, mm-hmm. you know. So I spent a couple of stints, one out at Cobar, one in the Hunter Valley of that Christmas break period, just going and working on a mine site. And, uh, you know, that was great experience, both in terms of understanding you know, how mines really work and, and what really happens, um, but also just being part of those regional communities and, um, and having a bit of fun with, with other, other students as well. So back in those early days, you sort of have that uh, great experience as a vacation student. You ultimately come out as a graduate. Yep. Uh, who did you land with and what was your vision at that point in time? Yeah, so uh, the the first role I got as a graduate was uh, with MIM in their coal group. So they they owned uh, Newlands and Oakey Creek uh, coal complexes. I got a job in their coal group as a graduate mining engineer and, uh, you know, uh, packed up and went from Sydney up to Glendon in central Queensland. Again, you know, great experience. Uh, you know, I loved that, you know, that regional town getting involved in you know, all of the things, joining the local rugby club and, and all, you know, all the things you do in those small towns. Um, uh, so I had, had a lot of fun doing that. I guess my vision at that point in time, you know, I've never been one that had a really rigid or structured vision for what my career was kind of going to look like. I've always, you know, taken opportunities that have come along, looked for new challenges, 
Um, and it didn't, you know, it wasn't so much about the title, but it was more about who was I working with? Was it exciting? Did it did it sound like it was going to, um, you know, going to be a fun ride? And you know, that's that's where I've gone. So, you know, I, I think people sometimes fall into the trap of having a very very rigid or structured idea of what their career should look like. And reality is when you're a graduate, you just don't know. Mm. And I think the key is, you know, just take the opportunities when they come. So it sort of had that bedrock of ambition, uh, but also supported by, uh, is it going to be a challenge that sort of uh, excites me uh, and invigorates me? And then who am I going to be doing that with? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. As a Um, general principle. Yeah, exactly. And and I've kind of, I've I've pretty much stuck to that throughout my career. You know, the, the moves that I've made have been with people that I trust and respect and to things that excite me and, and are interesting and, and present opportunity. And that's probably a good sort of uh, way to transition into the next question around, as you look at, I guess, your, your, your profile, you've sort of had three chapters to your career, if you like. Uh, so maybe that answer in part sort of touches on this next question, but you've sort of, you started with TEES, you, you went into that engineering consultancy world, if you can call it that, and then ultimately, you know, most recently you've been COO of a publicly listed company. So I'd be keen to, to get your key takeaways from each chapter, if we can look at that. What, what sort of sticks out in that regard? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, oh, I could talk about that for a long time. But, um, <laughs> but uh, look, I think the, you know, like, like I said earlier, I started as a graduate with MYM um, at that, you know, within about 18 months into that period at Newlands, MOE made the decision to contract out the open cut operation. Tease came in as the contractor um, and I joined Tease at that point. And I guess that started for me an 11-year journey with Tease. That actual transition for me personally and the observations that I made during that period, um, I, I learned a lot of, uh, in that phase of that transition from owner-operator to contract mining, a lot about leadership, a lot about communication and, and a lot about just how people how people respond to big changes and how people respond differently, you know, and, and it takes people time to kind of adjust to those sorts of things. So that was really a real eye-opener for me. Um, but that, you know, that, as I said, started off an 11-year journey with TEES, which went from, you know, being a site engineer to ultimately being a, a operations manager responsible for three of their large projects in Queensland and a bunch of stuff in between. There weren't many of their sites on, uh, certainly in Queensland, that I wasn't involved in at some point over that period of time. Spent a bit of time underground when they, you know, teeth were looking to get into uh, underground as a as a um, another string to their business. But I think, you know, fundamentally, what working for teeth taught me was, you know, how to think about mining operations from a cost and efficiency perspective. Um, how to really get the best out of particularly open cut mining operations. What are the key cost drivers? What are the levers you can pull? And also a lot about just leadership, frontline leadership and, and bringing people along on the journey because, you know, as a contractor, um, you don't you don't have a God-given right to be on a mine site. You know, you're there because you add something to the client and you're doing something for them. Um, that can change, you know, if you're not on your game and you're not sharp, then, you know, someone else will come and, come and take your place. So you've got to be, you've got to remain productive and efficient and continuously improve, otherwise you don't survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some great lessons out of that. I guess from there, um, I had an opportunity and it was actually through a, a, the, the guy that employed me into Tease, who had then left, mm. um, a guy called Brian McDonald, um, who offered me the opportunity to join a new venture that he was setting up, um, which was a private equity-backed 
uh, mining services venture. And the, the investment thesis there was to build a, build a portfolio of mining service companies um, through private equity backing um, and then turn that into something, you know, something bigger and ultimately exit that portfolio, which is, which is what we did. So uh, ultimately, you know, we, we, our initial sort of acquisition was a, an EPCM business based out of Perth called Calibre. We did a lot of work in the iron ore sector. Um, we acquired that business. We then, I, I moved across to Perth at that time and, and spent a lot of time working with that management team on, you know, improving that business, but also looking for then bolt-on acquisition opportunities. Um, I think we, we bought five or six more companies over the next few years and then ultimately took that, that vehicle through to IPO on the ASX. So for me, coming from, you know, what was pretty much a mining operational background to then step into, you know, dealing with private equity guys in New York and London, negotiating with private business owners to buy their businesses, integrating businesses, working as a director and a board member on these, these companies. Huge learning curve for me, you know, and, and great experience. And then that really, you know, that period of time, that sort of six years of that part of my career, I really learnt, you know, really, really, I guess, sharpened my commercial skills, my negotiation skills, my um, understanding of, you know, not just the operational aspects of a business, but from a corporate perspective, how to how do businesses operate and what's important. Um, so really, you know, really valuable sort of sojourn, I guess, of, of my career. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a, um, a left field move, but again, it was, it was going to work for someone and work with people that I trusted. It was, you know, it sounded exciting and it was different and presented opportunity. So, you know, that was, that was really good fun. Once we'd sort of listed that business, I sort of knew that at that point in time, it was time to look for the next thing in my career. I was keen to get back into, you know, more of a mining focused role. Um, I'd kind of done a lot of contracting, a lot of commercial and M&A and, and um, uh, that sort of work. But I, I really wanted to get back into mining. So there was an opportunity there to join New Hope in this around 2014. Um, and again, it was through people that I knew and people that I, I'd worked with previously and trusted. Um, Bruce Denny was the the initial sort of guy that brought me into New Hope, and it was in a in a business development capacity. So it was it was looking you know New Hope at that point in time had a billion dollars of cash on the balance sheet, was looking to diversify the business and acquire assets. Um, they just had a bit of a management change at the top of the top of the company with with Shane Stephan coming in as um, CEO. And uh, I guess they wanted to bring, you know, someone with sort of my sort of skill set in to help them, you know, grow, diversify and, and look to acquire other assets in that portfolio. And that's, that's, that's what we did. Um, we bought a couple of small things, but then ultimately in what was a real dip in coal prices, it was the bottom of the market, we acquired for a 40% interest in the Bengala mine down the Hunter Valley from Rio Tinto. So I led that negotiation and that acquisition. And then that sort of led to a journey over the next few years, which brought us to 80% ownership of Bengala operating the mine um, and the, you know, all of the, the, the sort of cultural aspects of that transition. So after a couple of years in that business development role, Bruce Dean retired. I, I was fortunate to get the role of COO, which is the role I've had for the last five years. And, and so a big part of that five years was that Bengala story. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, that was really a transformative phase for New Hope. Bengala is now the biggest part of its business and is a great asset, you know, a great team down there. And 
that's, you know, I guess, one part of certainly the last phase of my career that, you know, I've been really, really proud of is getting that, getting that transformative acquisition and getting that really solid part to New Hope's business. No, fantastic. I mean, you've touched on uh, a number of things already, but you're far from uh, being at the end of your career, but as you look back, what are some of the things that stick out to be, you know, some of the proudest moments in your career and, and, and why would you say that? Yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, for me it's when, you know, it's, it's achieving something with, with other people. It's milestones. I often say that, you know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. You know, it takes years to, to achieve um, success. And if I look at some of the sort of, you know, moments that I've been proud of, it's about delivering something, achieving something and doing it with, you know, with a great group of people. So, you know, certainly with Tease, I led the bid um, and the negotiation and the and ultimately the, you know, successful winning of the contract for Curran North to establish that part to Cara's operation with West Farmers. Then I went on to project manage the, the job. So I had sort of had that whole evolution through from, you know, building the bid, negotiating and then going to deliver the project, which was a paddock when we started. Um, you know, and I think that's where I met you. That's right. Back in sort yeah, of yeah. 2005 or thereabouts. Yeah. And I remember starting that job in 2004. Um, it was it was a paddock. It was a really wet wet season. Mm. We'd wake up in the morning and have to decide which way we were going to get to site depending on how much rain there'd been overnight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, taking that over the course of the next kind of 18 months from a paddock to an operating mine with infrastructure and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, producing coal for West Farmers was just a great achievement. So I really enjoyed that. I think on uh, the CRS side of my career, the private equity-backed um, venture, it, w- it was kind of you know th- there's there's you know when you acquire a business that's a milestone and, and that's something that you're always proud of. But I think the whole the whole journey and the fact that you know what we set out to achieve we achieved over that period of five or six years, and you know there was a lot of hard work and a lot of you know setbacks along the way. But you know I look back on that as a really you know, really proud of that mm-hmm. that achievement, getting, you know, a group of businesses ultimately to be um, a listed entity on the on the ASX. And then as I mentioned previously with uh, with New Hope, that whole Bengala journey, again, you know, it's a multi year thing. It's it's um it's not something that happens overnight, but I guess being getting in the position to acquire that, you know, that asset or a majority of that asset, negotiating with joint venture partners, you know, transitioning the team, you know, continuing to live deliver and grow the business. Um, you know, really, really proud of what we achieved there as well. Now, it seems like you've had a diverse range of roles that you worked in over that period of time and, and picked up some good experiences along the way. I guess I'm keen to to dive into the the challenging moments in your career. There's been lots of good times, yep. no doubt, you know, and I think uh, most people be aware of some of the challenges that New Hope have, have sort of faced of late and all that sort of stuff. But what have been some of the challenging moments in your career and how have you sort of learned from those moments? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, we, we all have challenges mm. all the time, whether it be, you know, short-term sort of firefighting issues or yep. or performance issues or whatever. Yep. Um, that's that's just, a given. That's part of the territory, yep. right? So so you deal with those, you learn, you know, sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't. Yep. But, you know, the, the, the key is, you know, I guess learning from those experiences. But, you know, from a business perspective, you know, you mentioned the um, New Ackland mm-hmm, mm-hmm. approvals kind of saga that's mm-hmm. been ongoing for many, many years and continues to this day. I think when I joined New Hope seven odd years ago, I was told that the approvals were imminent and yeah. um, they weren't. No, <laughs> <You know>? no. <laughs> There's no certainties in, in yeah. this business. But 
I guess, you know, going through that, we had a lot of legal setbacks. We had some wins. We had some losses. We, you know, we continued to, um, you know, fight the fight and, you know, engage our community and our people. Um, but I guess one of the key things I learned through that process was just the importance of communication mm. and the importance of bringing people on the journey. And, and even when it's bad news, you know, um, that's okay. You know, not, it, it's not always good news um, and it's not always positive and you don't always have all the answers. But I think the key is just getting in front of people and telling them how it is, you know, mm -hmm. telling them what the mm -hmm. issues are, telling them what the timeline looks like, telling them, you know, that if we don't get this approval, you're going to lose your job and mm -hmm. here's what that means, mm -hmm. you know. So no one wants to hear that. Mm -hmm. But my, in my experience, they'd rather hear that than have nothing, you know, and have the uncertainty associated with, you know, not knowing. Um, so I think... You know, the key learning for me through that adversity and those challenges is, you know, the more you can communicate with people, the more context you can give them, you know, you've got to be positive too. So you've got to, you know, they've got to feel that um, you're out there fighting for them and that you want the best outcome for them as well. That's all about engaging with your people, engaging with your community and, and just bringing them on the journey. We're going to dive into that a little bit later with one of the other questions uh, around that all-important topic or skill of communication. But um, I guess within that, I think uh, there, there, there's an element of emotional intelligence to sort of read the room and understand how maybe best to communicate certain things to different stakeholders. I guess I'm keen to understand your take on that intersection between IQ and EQ and what emphasis you place on both, assuming that obviously to perform a role like you do and have done, you need a base level of IQ, but how important is that EQ? Hugely important. I think it's 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 critical. Um, you know, as is IQ. I, I remember mm. I'd, someone that I, I used to work for and have a lot of respect for used to say to me, when they were looking to, to hire senior people, what they looked for in this order was integrity, first up. Yep. So you got you got to be able to trust them, and you got to know that they'll do the right thing. Second thing was energy. Yeah. So you need people that are, you know, and, and that's a bit to the EQ point as well. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. they're energetic, they're yeah. engaging, they bring people along. Um, and thirdly, it's intelligence, right? So you know that's that's something that I've kind of taken on board because I yeah. think it's pretty it's pretty relevant. Yeah. Um, so for me, you've got to be intelligent. Yeah. You've got to have the ability to understand the business, mm -hmm. the the business drivers understand your competitors, understand the market, all those sorts of things. Uh, but you've got to be able to engage people and bring them along as well. So um, I've worked with people who have been super smart but didn't have that ability to bring people along. You know, they've still been great assets in the right role. Uh, I've also also worked with people that were, you know, really energetic and, and engaging and, you know, could bring people along but they, you know, didn't, either didn't have the inclination or the intelligence to really dive in and understand the business and how it worked and, and what really what really drove the business from a, you know, from a commercial perspective. So um, you've got to have both. If you don't have both, it's not sustainable. You don't last long. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, it's an awesome answer and I think just the simplicity of uh, integrity energy and intelligence, it's a really good lens to appraise people. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah you know, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. Now, mate, you've got to put your humbleness to the side, I've been told, through this next question. So through my research, I've been reliably informed that communication is something that you do very, very well, and I think we, we touched on that in one of the earlier questions. Yeah. You've been described as genuine, uh, authentic as a leader. You've got a great ability to be able to relate to all levels in the business, be the the 
metaphorical uh, shop floor right up to board level. Uh, and obviously you've you've proven that to be true over time. I understand you've been able to have difficult conversations with empathy and care without shying away from the key messages, and I think we sort of talked about that a, a moment before. How important is communication to you as a skill in your portfolio or your toolbox as a leader, and how have you gone about honing those skills uh, in, in communication? Yeah, um, that's a, a <laughs> good, good question. Thanks for that, Sean. Um, Look, I think um, uh, I guess in, in answering the last part of the question first, you know, I've done I've done a range of communication type training, mm-hmm. which helps with you know media work. It helps with public speaking and presentation and those sorts of things, and, and that's that's really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one part of communication. Uh, I think the other part, or, or one of the other parts that to an extent you sort of learn on the job is just that engagement and, you know, relationship building and leadership with, you know, largely internal stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I think that's one that, you know, there's no training course for that. Yeah. Um, that's about, uh, I think, being self-aware, understanding what are the key messages I'm trying to get across and having the kind of humility to kind of test whether whether it worked or not, mm-hmm. right? Um, because um, it doesn't work all the time. Mm-hmm. We're not all great communicators all of the time, but um, you know. But if you check in with people, you'll pretty quickly get a sense of you know did did my message land? Do they understand? You know, did, did that work or didn't it? So I think you, you can do some training for certain aspects of mm-hmm. communication. The rest of it, you just got to practice. I mean, I, I know in in the, the the role with New Hope, we started doing um, video updates to our to our people. You know, and that was something that you know, we decided it was something that was worthwhile and, and was good to do. Now, I'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. I was out of my comfort zone. Um, I think the first one we must have done six or seven takes and, um, you know, the, it was heavily edited before it went out. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, we kept doing it, you know, and you get better at it and you got to watch it yourself as well and you've got to be critical of it and you've got to think about, well, yeah, next time, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to make this better? Yeah. So it's, I think that, you know, self-awareness and being able to kind of be honest with yourself is really important. I think that's a great answer, mate. I, I think uh, first of that notion of just to sort of paraphrase or summarise, self-awareness is critical, you know, learning what works, what doesn't work through your own sort of interpretation. I think you know, I picked up there's an element of planning. What's the key message and how do I get it to best land? Mm. Seeking feedback from others and not uh, being too proud to ask for feedback and take that on the chin and iterate as you go. And then I think that um, other component is uh, get out of your comfort zone, have a crack and and learn each time and iterate. Obviously, I think that process, if you can call it a process, obviously works and and it's worked for you. So I think that's good beyond, I guess, just that formal training around communication. So I think it's a skill that evolves over time. So I think that's a a great answer. Maybe this next question is an easy question to answer or not. But as a leader, who or what has had the biggest impact in your career and why? Uh, look, in terms of who, you know, I've worked for I've worked for great leaders and I've worked for not so good leaders. I think we've all probably had that experience yep. over our careers. Um, you know, you and, and you take things from both. Of, of them. course, you know, yeah. you take yeah. things from both of them. You you work out how you want to kind of adapt your leadership style yep. with some of the good stuff and yep. maybe some of the stuff that you can yeah. you know, <laughs> not do leave or behind. the inverse of yeah. 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 You know, two individuals that have been you know sort of pivotal, I think, in my career and that I've learned a lot from. I mentioned Brian McDonald earlier. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Brian sort of originally brought me into Tease, mm-hmm. then brought me into the you know CRS venture, 
I still catch up with him from time to time, bounce ideas off him. You know, really, really good guy. Um, Michael Rosengren was was another one at, at Tease in the, the the back end of my sort of career with Tease. Really good good guy, solid guy. Um, learned a lot about leadership and communication from Michael. But I guess as I you know as I go back and and think about those things that you look for when you're looking to bring people into the business, you know, that they're they're three traits that those two individuals had. You know, in spades, they yep. were, you know, they were um, both people that you know I, I certainly trusted implicitly. I knew they had my back. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew they'd, you know, they'd give me feedback, good and bad. Um, I knew they wouldn't, you know, you know, there were never any games being played. Yep. They were just straight up trustworthy people. They um, enormous amount of energy, yep. you know, so they could, uh, you know, really, really motivate and lift people and and take them on the journey. And both really intelligent and inquisitive guys. So, you know, for me, I think that that test is pretty valid. That certainly the people that have had a, a, an impact on my career have, have really had those qualities, yeah. and have been people that you know I've been able to trust. They've motivated me, um, and you know they've been inquisitive and intelligent. Yeah. Now, we, uh, clearly, they've had a huge impact on some of those hallmarks that have obviously been really. Uh, valuable and successful for them. Obviously, you've taken them into your own career, and that's uh, that's obviously aided you and uh, and how you've sort of uh, navigated your career to this point and no doubt beyond. But uh, I want to sort of move the context of the conversation beyond, uh, I guess, the business context to to you as an individual. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the journey you've been on has come with highs, lows, challenges, um, yeah, everything else in between. There's a lot, I think, in a career uh, of yours uh, that's consuming and it takes a lot uh, of a person. So I'm really interested to understand how do you relax, how do you get away from business and any tips you can share around trying to get that harmony. Obviously, you've got a beautiful young family, which is important to you. I've been told you are unapologetic about turning up to school events and those sorts of things because that is important to you and I've seen that. So. What are your best tips around harmony and balance? Which is a it's just a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one, and, and I think for me, I, I think the um, I think the concept of this work life balance is yeah. a bit flawed. You yeah, know, I yeah. don't, I, I don't, I don't kind of subscribe to it. You know, for me, I'm, you know, I'm ambitious, professional. You know, work is an integral part of my life, right? So it's not it's not about finding a balance between work and life. Work's an integral part of my life. I yep. love it. Yep. You know, I do it because I love it. And you just want to make a positive difference when yep. you're doing it. So, so it's not about finding a balance between work and other stuff. Yep. It's about how do you have a you know a full and balanced life that includes you know, your family, um, your, your professional uh, life, your your personal hobbies and interests. And it's not it's not easy because there's only 24 hours in the day. There's and, a lot competing, <laughs> and, and 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 you want to do all of it really well, right? Yep. So, um, uh, for me, it's about uh, I think trying to find the opportunities to to participate in the things that that you love doing just finding the time you know um but maybe i've got a busy day but i know i've got a there's a school assembly and my kids getting an award and and i'd really love to be there so i'm just going to shuffle things around i'm going to find the time i'm going to go yeah or um uh, you know as you know i love to surf mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Know, not particularly well but i love it anyway <laughs> you know so I, I remember i'd always used to whenever we had a, a executive sort of offsite i'd always be hassling to say <laughs> we, we need to have this on the coast <laughs> so that i can get up at five o'clock in the morning and, yep. and, and take the board and go for a surf before yep. we before we have a session so uh, i don't know if that's a if, if that's much of an answer mate but um 
I think you've just got to say, well, you know, these are all the things that are important to me. I need to devote time to all of them and energy to all of them. When I'm doing them, I want to be doing them well mm-hmm. and uh, try and find the time. I think a uh, great answer. When I've uh, interviewed other people, they, they talk about uh, sacrifice. Uh, and, you know, this person I interviewed didn't agree with sacrifice. He said it's about choice. Mm. And, and I get the impression with you, you choose your career to be an important pillar of you as an individual, but you also choose, you know, other things as in your family to be an important part of that. Yep. And it's not perfect, life's imperfect, but you do your best to sort of balance all of that yep. um, as best you can and have some element of harmony. Some days it's better than others on that side of it, but I guess beyond that, you know, where you can be efficient, where you can sort of double up and, and achieve both, i.e. the off-site and the surf in the same. It's an efficient way to try and do both, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, because you are so pressed for time. So, And I think, and I think, I think mate, the, um, the communication side comes into it as well. So, you know, in terms of, you know, giving your family context around what you're doing at work, what's important, you know, why is it that I can't go to that event or I'm late home or I'm away or whatever. And, and that's you know, not always easy with young kids because they don't always get it. But yeah. you know, with with your wife, your yeah, partner, yeah. Or, or your your family, yeah. trying to give them some context around what it is that you do and why why you feel it's important, and why that means that there are times where you're not going to be there. And you know, again, it's that just that communication side. Yeah, I think uh, you probably nailed. Uh, that's a great add-on point around the communication because if you haven't got a bit of a shared journey or understanding around why you're going to work be it as a, a kid or a significant other, mm. that you're left with why, mm. you know? So I think it's really easy to come home when you're exhausted and fatigued from the day just to say nothing or, or mm. not a great deal and shield what's going on. But I think the more inclusive and understanding people are as to why you're going to work, I think the, the, yeah. the better it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah? for sure. So great answer. I'm interested to sort of understand any personal philosophies you subscribe to as a leader, any sort of mantras or key things, you know, you, you've talked about obviously those those three lenses that you, you subscribe to and you sort of look through as a leader. Yep. Any other sort of philosophies you'd share in that regard? Yeah, look, I, I, I do, and I don't know if I've, if I've stolen this from someone or if I've made it up, but <laughs> um, the, you know, I, I'll often, uh, certainly in, in, you know, my, my last role and in other roles, I've I've had the opportunity to talk to, you know, leadership groups and and groups that were you know developing their leadership skills of future leaders and those sorts of things. And um, I, I always used to say to them, by definition, there's one thing that leaders need, right? And that is followers. Mm-hmm. If you don't have followers, well, you're not a leader. So how do you how do you get people to follow you? You know, and, and for me, it's pretty simple. Um, there's two things that you need. To get people to follow you, firstly, they've got to trust you. If they don't trust you, they're not following you anywhere. And secondly, you've got to be going somewhere interesting, somewhere exciting. Um, so if you've got, if you've got those things, if, if people feel they can trust you and you're going in a direction that's interesting and exciting and they want to get on the journey, then, then people will follow you. So, um, like I said, I don't know whether I stole that from someone, <laughs> but I'm happy for you to use it. No, I'm going to um, use it. It, it, it's a, it's a good one, right? I mean, yeah. it, it makes uh, it's very simplistic, but as you say it, oh, it resonates. You go, "That's true." Yeah. You know, do, do I trust the person, and are they taking the business or the venture or whatever it is somewhere exciting? And do yeah. I want to be part of that? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty simple, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And I think if you only get two things right, you know, like say by definition of a leader, I think that's pretty critical, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so and you and you can be a leader by. Uh, you know, by title yep. or by position yep. um, doesn't make you a leader of people. No, you know, no. And it doesn't mean people are following you. No, that's right. Yeah. So, mate, awesome answer. I'm going to steal that philosophy. So that's good. <laughs> I guess if we sort of looked to round things up, conscious of everyone's time, 
you sort of alluded to it at the, at the start of the podcast, but I mean, what is your vision or sense for the future? Uh, where do you think you can add the, the most value you're looking forward? Good question and something I'm pondering myself at the moment. <laughs> uh, I, I love the mining industry. Um, I love I love the people in the mining industry. I love the you know the energy and and the things that we can that, that we achieve as an industry, um, and the communities that we're a part of. You know, so so for me, you know, as you think about doing things in other other sectors or other industries, you know, I I, I really want to stay in mining. It's kind of in my blood, and and um, I do love it. I think you know to that as well. I think we've all got an obligation to promote the industry and to advocate for the industry. I think we've, you know, the, the, the mining industry, um, the perception of the mining industry in sort of, you know, Joe Public is not great, you know, and, and I, I think in a lot of cases we haven't done ourselves or we've done ourselves a disservice by the way we, we kind of haven't promoted the industry. You know, UQ's not doing a mining engineering degree anymore because there's not, you know, there's not the demand for it um, and that's really sad. So I think, you know, for me, whatever I do next, you know, I want, um, you know, I, I want to continue doing the things that I love doing, which is, you know, achieving things, which is leading teams, growing teams, developing people, achieving outcomes, all that sort of stuff. But also want to be, you know, actively help to promote and advocate for our industry because I think it is a great industry. I think it provides enormous opportunities for, um, for people and for the communities that we're a part of. Uh, and that story needs to be told. So, um, you know, if I can, if I can make that a part of what I do next, and and you know, have some fun along the way, then um, I'll be pretty happy. No, and I think it was it was clear right from the first answer around your father and mining, and that being in your in your blood, so to speak, yeah. to you know your early time at Glendon, to the different adventures and, and achievements along the way, your your uh, involvement with other people and going on a collective mission and achieving things and all that sort of stuff. I can tell authentically that you're passionate about that. And I couldn't agree more. I think you know the mining sector uh, needs to do a way better job of PR and marketing because there's some amazing success stories and opportunities that that sector brings. And as we look around us, we've got constant reminders, whether it's the iPads, the cars, or whatever the case, that they're all derivatives of mining. But I don't think people sort of truly connect the two. Yeah. That there's sort of they're, they're, there's a bit of a, a void of understanding around that. So I agree, mate. I think there's more people like you required to sort of uh, push that message of um, how uh, important the, the the industry is to to uh, the wider economy and uh, the wider globe. So, mate, I really appreciate you taking the time to share some of those things you've um, learned along the way. Um, I think there's some really good, simple takeaways from that for other people that choose to listen. And uh, I'll wait with bated breath, mate, about what comes next. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some exciting things ahead, so I appreciate it, mate. Good stuff. Thanks, Sean. Hey guys, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. I know I did. Uh, there was a lot of uh, head nodding on my part in terms of some of the, the great sort of principles or things that come out of it. Although Andrew did a really good job of simplifying some of the great experiences uh, he's had in his career. So really appreciate taking the time to listen. Feel free to send this on or refer this on to anyone that might enjoy it as well. And of course, uh, subscribe or like to the podcast if you want to hear more podcasts uh, along these lines. Thank you. Thank you for listening to StellarCast. This show aligns with why Robbie McIlwraith and Sean McCambridge co-founded the company. Their mission was to help and nurture others to reach and exceed their potential. For trusted recruitment and career advice, contact Stella today.